Hi, Insiders. Welcome back to a new episode of Disney Movie Insiders Presents. Today, we're going for the gold with an insider's look at the Oscars. The Walt Disney Studios received 15 Oscar nominations, and five of those are for Pixar Animation Studios. Joining us today to talk about their nominations for Best Animated Feature, we have Pete Docter, Kent Powers, and Dana Murray from Soul, and Dan Scanlon and Corey Ray from Onward. Then to take on the Insider Five, we have Madeline Sharafian and Mike Cabaret from Burrow, which was nominated for Best Animated Short Film. From Soul to Onward to Burrow, Pixar Animation Studios was a shining light in the year of 2020. No matter the setting, the great before, a magical quest, or a bunny's burrow, each film showcased in its own way that life is more than oneself. It's a journey meant to be shared and shaped by others. These films had so much heart and highlighted that life is much better lived together in a time when we needed it the most. We have a lot of amazing guests today, so we're going to get right into it. But first I wanted to share this fun insider's fact to get this Oscar party started. Did you know, Walt Disney himself holds the record for the most Academy Award wins with 22. And he even has an honorary award for the creation of Mickey Mouse. Our first guests are no stranger to the Disney Pixar family. Chief Creative Officer of Pixar and Director of Soul, Pete Docter, Producer Dana Murray, and Co-Director Kent Powers. Welcome to the show, everyone, and let's start with a big congrats on the Oscar nominations and even more, the win at the Golden Globes. Congratulations and welcome. Thank you. Thank it's good you. to be here. <laughs> All right. So arranging Soul, I can only imagine, was an ambitious journey. Let's start with Soul's very own great before. When did you each first start working on the film and how did you come up with the idea? Pete, let's start with you. Uh, we wrote up something that confused a lot of um, our European press that said, the movie began 25 years ago when my son was born. Uh, it's not exactly true, but we did notice that he had a very unique personality right from the get-go, you know. And that's different than my daughter and different than me and my wife, even though we're all the same genetic pool and living in the same place. So why is it that everybody has their own sense of personality? That's what kind of sparked the whole thing investigating where do we get our personality? Where do we come from in that sense? And we made up this place called The Great Before where all of us are given our, our personality attributes, you know, be that adventurousness or uh, suave, self-critical, persuasive, whatever. Uh, that all came from The Great Before. I love it. Dana, let's talk about your journey and how you first started working on this project. Sure. I worked on Inside Out with Pete. And um, so after I wrapped off that film and did a few different projects. I ended up in development. So I was lucky enough to be there from the very beginning and hear one of the very early pitches. And um, I was immediately intrigued and drawn to the idea because, you know, we get to talk about where the great before is, where our souls came from. And it was obviously a very intri intriguing subject. Intriguing indeed, to say the very least. <laughs> very original too. Kemp, talk to us about when you first started working on this. Oh, me, I was just hanging out outside the Pixar campus and I waited for Pete to drive by on his tiny car and just like jumped on the roof. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is that, you're telling all our fans out there, that's the trick now. Watch out, doctor. No, I, I came on board in 2018, um, in summer 2018. It was about, just about two years into the process. Um, which in, in animation, that's right around, the film was basically at that point when everyone is freaking out. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you, you make so many versions of these films. So, you know, they, they had made some key decisions about um, 
the main characters in the film and and where they wanted the story to go. But it was a point where um, Pete and Dana wanted to bring on an additional writer. So, you know, I, I came on and saw a very early um, set of reels of the film um, and gave some notes. And based on that, they brought me on board um, first as a writer. And then about a year later, I got made co-director. Yeah, the real trick to getting hired is be really good. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Do not hang outside of Pixar. I don't <laughs> idea. Well, yeah, Pete and I um, read your play One Night in Miami. Right. Yeah. right. Really, that, that's what we yeah. were attracted to. Yeah. I was actually yeah. down in, in um, Los Angeles at the time, so I had to like fly up very cloak-and-dagger style to, to come onto this Pixar campus that a lot of people had heard of but never seen. So, so the we, whole experience was very exciting. We, we blindfolded Kemp, turned him around three times, put him on an airplane. No, I don't. We, we, we generally, I don't know, we've, we developed a history of this from early on of keeping our projects pretty, a little quiet until we're ready to talk about it because so much stuff changes. I think, you know, if you'd have asked me to do a press release about Up when it was in development, you wouldn't even recognize it now. So maybe that's why. That's pretty cool, though. So speaking of changes, then, how did Joe's character start? Was he always a musician and a teacher? No, he started as a soul uh, who showed up at the great before completely confused. And he's like, well, I, I don't know who I am, but I know that I've already lived, so I'm in the wrong place. And then it was kind of like amnesia where he was starting to, well, wait a minute, I remember now I was this and that. And I think that was probably where we came up with the idea of him as, as an actor. Uh, first, uh, we were looking for something that kind of mirrored our own experiences as artists. You know, for me, this film at its heart was this idea of I've always thought of that I was kind of born to do animation. I love it. I've been passionate about it since I was a kid. And yet you realize at a certain point in your life, that's not the totality of everything. That's not going to satisfy and make everything in my life click into place, you know. So um, we were trying to tell that story from someone like ourselves like, as an artist, but uh, maybe not an animator because that might be a little boring or not as clear. So we were looking for something like an actor. Actor felt like, I guess when we, we wrote a whole script, Mike, Mike Jones uh, wrote a whole script with Joe as an actor. We thought it was very clever. He was getting the lead in Death of a Salesman and then he got hit by a truck. Uh, that was a different version. Um, but we found that actors and no disrespect to any actors out there. It, it read a little selfish, like, oh, I see, he just wants to be, he wants to be famous, that's, that's what it is. And so we said, no, no, that's not the point. We want him to have this genuine passion that he's after. So we thought, what about musician? And specifically jazz is not like, you don't, you don't get into that to, to be rich and famous. You do it because you have a genuine passion uh, for this thing. And that seemed to work out really well initially for the story but then as we got into it man we we recognized how perfect jazz is as a metaphor for the kind of story that we were talking about i would say though soul world compared to real world like obviously joe we were introduced to him in the real world based on how you went with your with how you explained it there how did you create what a soul and the counselors would look like well we made it up um i mean we started with uh we started with research, of course, and uh, talked to as many different religions and traditions as we could get experts in there uh, to, to figure out, like, what do, what do people think uh, happened before we were born? We found out there was not a lot, actually. Not a lot of traditions talk about what happens 
before. A lot of, a lot of stuff about what happens after we die. Uh, but we, we decided maybe better to stay away from that anyway. The, the great before, we just said, well, what do souls look like? What do traditions say that the soul is? They, the, the answers were, they, they said, ethereal, non-physical, vaporous. And so we said, well, how can we, it has to be visible, obviously, in our world, or we wouldn't be able to make a movie. Um, but how can we allude to that? So we had this sort of foggy, vaporous look to things. Everything's very soft and, uh, um, and in direct contrast to the, the, the human world. You know, the, the world of New York, we've intentionally leaned into texture and angular and very hard, rigid and um, in direct contrast to, to the soul world. I imagine, though, that there's a lot of story points to solve when you're creating something so original as this. Is there a moment in the movie, maybe each of you, if you can answer this one, is there a moment in the movie that you're each really proud of? Like something in particular that was a big challenge, but now seeing it on this side feels like it's very satisfying that you were able to overcome that. It's too generic, but honestly, the story, cracking the story was incredibly difficult. Um, and we had a year taken out of the schedule. And so I guess I'm really proud of the team for pulling that off because I, we were really worried. Usually on average, uh, um, a Pixar film, we have internal screenings for ourselves and everyone judges it and gives notes. We usually on average do that about 10 times. On this film, we got to do it seven. And so it just felt like this, a lot of pressure. And so I'm, I'm just really proud of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of the fact that we got the soul world great before stuff to make sense. Because there were times when it seemed like so complicated that even the people internally could, didn't understand it. So you feel like, okay, are we ever going to be able to simplify these, these, these complex ideas in a way that families in particular, you know, children are going to be able to understand it? And so that that's something I, I'm really, I'm really proud of because it could have gone a very different direction when we all just said, you know what, never mind. And, and in a different down a different path. But we we got it to work. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge effort. Took a lot of tries at, you know, at it before we could get it work, to work. The thing I guess I'm most proud of is that. Uh, at its heart, the sort of emotional uh, learning that our character goes through, that Joe understands, you know, the epiphany, if you will. In most films, if you really think about it, most of them are about relationships. You know, those are the things that we really care about and root for in the film. And at the core of this, you know, obviously there's Joe and 22, but the thing that he really learns is more having to do with his place in the universe and, and in life. And that uh, was something I don't think any of us were too... Uh, confident that we could pull off at the beginning, there was a big question mark about that. Would that be enough to kind of hang your hat on emotionally for a film? Uh, this guy understanding, wait, it's not just all about my passion and my joy. It's about something bigger. So the fact we were able to dramatize that, I'm, I'm very proud of. And it's very compelling and it's resonated coming off again, the Golden Globes and as we go into the Oscars. So congrats on you guys overcoming those challenges. Let's talk about your past work. So Pete, you've directed Monsters, Inc., Up and Inside Out, in addition to writing and producing many other of our Pixar favorites. I say that so quickly, but I mean, all the feels. We're talking to Disney movie fans on this podcast. Dana, you've worked on many Pixar shorts as well as Inside Out and Cars 3. Kemp, 
You're no stranger to success, though, especially with One Night in Miami, as Dana mentioned earlier, and the Oscars race in addition to this project. So we want to give you a congrats on that nomination, by the way. But let's talk Soul specifically because it brought you into the Pixar family. Now that your work is part of the Pixar legacy, talk to us about your journey of being inducted into the family. I got to say, it's a, it was really an exciting moment for me to get like a physical copy of Soul. And mm. then which I, I didn't even open. I just like put it in the shelf next to the other movies and just looked and was like, yep, there we go. Can't take that one away from me. It, I don't know why, but like having it in the library, um, it really does feel like it's part of a real leg a legacy. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. Um, a legacy of filmmakers that I, I've admired from afar for many years and who have been able to be a part of the process of actually making a story with those filmmakers. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's a dream that a lot of people who do what I do their entire careers will never have an opportunity to, to, to do. So it, it's really, really special for me. And also just, the, the, I realized everything we do is collaborative, but there's something special about this collaboration that it just brings in people from all, artists from all walks of life who are just excellent people. Um, just earlier today, a, a very good friend of mine um, Francois Batiste came by my house and I didn't know, but it turns out he was a Juilliard um, student with John Batiste. No way. The two Batistes there at the same time? Today there were the two Batistes at Juilliard and he was like, so you you know John Batiste is like a genius, right? I was like, oh, we know. We were we spent like an hour talking about this incredible energy that John Batiste gives off that's kind of hard to explain and describe to people. You kind of have to experience it. And there was a lot of that with this film where people came in and their everyone's contributions went so far beyond what people were asked to do. Like I was asked to do writing. I ended up being code. John Batiste was asked to do arranging of the music characters played. He ended up composing. Like everyone, even Trenton Atticus, they contributed to the story. I feel like there was something about this project that motivated everyone to just want to give of them, give of themselves. In, in a way that I think shows in the, in the final product. So I'm assuming that's how it is with a lot of Pixar films. But as an experience, go as experiences go, that was a very new experience for me. I mean, well, this movie released around the holidays too. And that's such a like heartfelt, special time for people too. So I think to your point, it really resonated too with audiences. All that emotional work behind the scenes really came through on screen. I want to talk actually about what you mentioned there though, music. I imagine it's a daunting task for, you know, a jazz musician in the movie. How do you guys even begin there? What musical influences did you three and the team look to as the film was developing? Well, I guess uh, jazz, you know, if you look back in time, there's a great relationship between jazz and, and uh, animation. I grew up on the Peanuts specials, you know, so Vince Guaraldi. Uh, is is kind of in my DNA, or even Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which I know is not animation, but as a kid, Johnny Costa, you know, his jazz that you'd hear there. Um, so I guess in some ways we had those thoughts in our heads. We were, we were trying to be as current as we could. I mean, the great thing about John is, Batiste, you know, he loves current day music, but he also has this wonderful respect for you know, going way back to, I think he, he's talked to me a couple times about his favorite musician being um, Louis Armstrong, you know, who's like one of the first jazz players. Just so amazing, all the contributions that that guy brought. And of course, um, um, uh, uh, Duke Ellington is another favorite of both, well, all of ours, you know. So it was all those things kind of tumbling in our heads. 
And uh, one of the real key moments on the film, when we felt like, okay, we something is right here, it's clicking, is we heard this... Um, Somebody turned turned us on to this uh, master class by uh, Herbie Hancock, and of course, great pianist and and jazz composer, everything you know. He's done so much. He told the story about in his earlier in his career, he, pl- he played with Miles Davis, and they were on a tour, and he was playing, and he said, "I just everything was great until I played this chord that he felt was so wrong that he just like destroyed the whole concert, and instead of stopping, Miles just." looked at him, took a breath, and played some notes to make that chord work, to make it right. And that, he said, I couldn't figure out, how did he do that? And he said, what he did was, Miles didn't judge something as being right or wrong. He just took it as something new that happened, and he tried to make something good out of it. And that just felt so central to what we were talking about in the movie, that we knew then that jazz was the right thing um, to be folded into into the film. I mean, and what a team, though, that you guys comprise, John Batiste, Atticus Ross, and Trent Reznor, and then not to mention Soul is nominated for Best Original Score. So I think I think it played out pretty well, if I'd say so. Well, I was just, I was just going to say it was a little bit of a head scratch for, for some people when, we, when they heard, hey, we're approaching Trent and Atticus. People are like, uh, you mean the people who did like Gone Girl and uh, the you know those movies? How is that going to work for a Pixar film? That is weird. And we're like, yeah, I know, it's cool, huh? Okay, so cool. with the Oscars coming up though, and Soul with three nominations, how do you guys go into Oscars night? Like, do you have any good luck traditions you'll be using? My good luck tradition is to lie awake all night feeling nauseous. I don't plan that, but that's always what happens. Well, Pete's had a lot more practice than Kemp and I, so we'll we'll take. Uh, yeah, this, this is my first time, so I've got nothing to compare it to. I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. <laughs> we'll 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 talk at three a.m. on the night yeah, before. Yeah, well, let's hang out. Okay. <laughs> All right. So before we go, Pete, can you tell us a bit about what's coming up next for Pixar and what your vision is for the studio as chief creative officer? Yeah, so coming up next, it's really exciting. It comes out June uh, 18th. It's called Luca, and it's directed by Enrico Casarosa, the guy who did the short film La Luna, if you've seen that. Mm-hmm. Really charming short film. This also set in Italy. So it's kind of like taking a vacation to Italy to kick off your summer. It's really beautiful, heartfelt, and it's about mm-hmm. friendship and growing up. So super charming and so different than, than Soul. Uh, which I'm really proud of. And the one after that's super different too. It's called uh, Turning Red and it's directed by Domi Shi who did the short film Bao, if you've seen that one. Um, and that's set in uh, Canada, uh, a Chinese Canadian girl growing up who when she gets too excited, she can transform into this giant red panda. Um, so it's, compl- it's kind of like Teen Wolf in a way, <laughs> but uh, cuter. Um, so really cool. Um, and each one of them is so different. And that really fits into your other question of like, what is the future of the company? I think you're going to see a lot more different voices, new voices, uh, diversity, people talking about their own unique upbringings. Because I think at the core of what we've always done and will continue to do is even though these films are giant, big blockbuster movies, at the core of them, we think of them like uh, like indie films. You know, They're very personal. Um, and I think that's Hopefully the reason they speak to people is because we're talking about ourselves. 
Saul, Luca turning red. Wow, what a lineup. What great stories. Oh, we're talking to Disney movie fans here. So yes, all right. we're all excited <laughs> about everything cool. that's out and what's to come. Thank you all cool. for joining us today and best of luck at the Oscars. Thank you. Next to take us on a journey with Onward, we have director Dan Scanlon and producer Corey Ray. Congratulations on the nomination for Best Animated Feature. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Here we are celebrating Onward in 2021, but when did you first start thinking about creating this movie? Uh, Corey and I made Monsters University together, and that uh, came out in 2013, and right away we started working on uh, what type of film we could do next, and we wanted to do something personal, and that's where uh, the idea from Onward came from. So we've been working on it for several years. No, we started it together in lockstep. So 2013 is kind of when we wrapped up MU and uh, took a small little break and came right back and and started brainstorming what movie we wanted to make next. And it turned out to be Onward. Really cool. Thank you guys so much for sharing the backstory on that. What messages or themes would you want viewers to walk away with? Well, I think um, there's a few of them in the film. The The main one is really to appreciate the people around you and the people who were there for you in your life and stood up for you and, and gave you a boost when you needed one and um, and kind of just really recognizing the, those people and and then also thinking about whether you're one of those people for somebody else and do you have an opportunity to um, to give someone else a little boost when they need it. So I think that was one of the main things that I, I was super drawn to. I think Corey summed it up beautifully. I, I think one other thing that we talk about a lot in the film is um, making the most of what you do have versus what you can't have. You know, this is a story of uh, two boys who are trying to talk to a father they never thought they'd meet, but they have where they discover they have other people in their lives who, you know, really went above and beyond. And I think in general in life, there's something to be said with um, making the most out of what you do have and appreciating the people around, who are around you and who, as Corey said, did go above and beyond. Okay. Can we talk about that though? The world that Ian and Barley inhabit is just so cute. So fantasy, so fun. How did you craft the town of New Mushroomton? Uh, it's supposed to be a, you know, a formal, Formerly a fantasy world, the kind that we've seen in, in lots of films, you know, uh, uh, that's, you know, magical mushroom houses and castles and scary taverns. And so a lot of what we did was try to build our own take on that uh, version of the past and then and literally design it with as it might have looked in the past and then just add years worth of extra junk <laughs> added on to it like satellite dishes and, you know, uh, aluminum, aluminum siding and all these types of things and, and additions to the houses and just thought about like over time, what, what, uh, conveniences would have been added to these places and how would they have changed bases based on people's needs, uh, from them. For example, the Manticore's Tavern was once this old, scary, dangerous tavern, but as, as society changed, she had to change with it. And so she made it this very, the Manticore made it this very family friendly, very well lit, very, um, the edges rounded off kind of place. And, uh, and so that was fun Re retroactively going and building the, 
the old world and then just seeing the art department really seeing like how how would life have changed and how would it change these this whole world. Okay, so it's a Pixar movie, which means there's an abundance of Easter eggs. What are your favorites which should be on the lookout for? Mm, I think we did an amazing job at hiding the pizza planet truck in this film. It's usually a little more obvious. This one's pretty pretty in there and kind of I think I had to ask where it was at one point. We, it's it's behind a building. Yes. So you you can't see. It. It's a really really good job. We put it behind the Lightfoot house, completely blocked. Uh, we designed it. We made it look like it fit the world, and then we just hit it completely. Is that where it ended up? I thought it was no, on no, the highway. No, <laughs> it's a, uh, no, we did do I a believe, good job. Fine. Yeah, I believed you. Yeah. That would be the next level of Easter eggs. Just literally put it's them true. underneath things and uh, exactly fifty feet below the ground. Uh, well, we had a lot of fantasy fans at Pixar, and so and Corey and I didn't know a lot about fantasy when we started, and so we really created a essentially a group. Our head of story, Kelsey Mann, created a group um, and of fantasy fans to come up with <laughs> Easter eggs for the fantasy world, and they'd go really deep into the references, um, and they'd pitch them to Corey and I, and like we talk about where we could put them, and. Um, it was really fun. Some of them were so, so specific that for the layman and even for the super <laughs> fantasy fan, I felt like, oh, wow, I don't know that anyone would ever understand that. Um, so, but, but yes, it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, to me, I think, um, trying to think of a favorite gag, I feel, I feel like there was the sword and the scone was funny. Yeah. Uh, where's A113? Do you remember? It's a classroom at CalArts, right? I believe it's the classroom where a yeah. bunch of uh, Pixar folks and Disney folks all uh, took animation classes. We did it in dialogue this time, which yeah. I don't think we'd ever done before. Colt is right. uh, getting a call at the end of the movie about a disturbance and, he, and they say, we have A113 in progress. So it's a bit <laughs> of a stretch. Okay, so thank you so much for sharing all about the Pixar Easter eggs. You know we love those. We love the Pizza Planet truck. And Dan, you had us fooled, to be honest. But you know what? I'm going to go back and listen in on that A113 moment because that's a whole new kind of Easter egg I can't wait to tune into. (laughs) All right. So if you could magically do a different job for one day, what would it be? I would be a magician. I would be a uh, dinner theater magician. Yeah, that's what I would do. And I would put on a big show and do magic tricks and while people ate and ignored me. Oh, I, yeah, that, that one's too good. I don't know. I was going to I was gonna say be a surf instructor. Uh, oh, that's good. That'd be good. Because uh, it seems like a pretty cush job. Yeah. Uh, you know, not too much risk. You're out in the sun. You're in the water. You're Well, there's you're a little out. risk in the form of sharks. <laughs> And a bunch of people who don't know how to surf that you are responsible for. So I think there's a good amount of risk. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you both so much for joining us. We had a blast talking with you guys today. Congrats and best of luck on Oscar Sunday. Here to take on the Insider Five are the Oscar-nominated filmmakers from Borough, director Madeline Sharafian and producer Mike Cabaret. Welcome, you two, and congratulations on your nomination for Best Animated Short Film. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. I love the happy energy. It already feels like a celebration. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Every day. 
Well, speaking of love, I love that this film teaches us it's okay to not have all the answers and that there's no shame in asking for help. It stars a rabbit, but it's a story we can all relate to and learn from. Kids, and let's be honest, adults too, can learn that lesson. <laughs> Where did the idea of Burrow come from? Well, I uh, it was an idea that came from uh, my first couple years here at Pixar, um, because obviously Pixar sets the bar very high of excellence, and, and I joined when I was still relatively young, so for me, joining a big studio like this with such a huge reputation, I found it really hard to take advantage of all of the talent around me. I, I could have just asked for things like, oh, I need a deadline extension because I'm new and I'm slower. Or like, oh, hello, veteran story artist sitting like one office away. Can you teach me how to do a camera move and Photoshop? Like all of these very simple things that I could have turned and asked for help for. I, I, I just couldn't bear, I just couldn't bear it. <laughs> so I, I would instead work late nights. I would work weekends. And so then when I would pitch my work, it looked like I really had it all together. But I, once you sort of start that pattern, it's hard to stop. So I ended up working that way for a couple years. And I found that I was really, I had really isolated myself, you know, like the, like the rabbit in the short, you know, if you're, if you're not willing to admit that you don't know what you're doing or that you need assistance, you do end up pushing people away. So it was around the time that I realized like, I really need to turn this around, uh, that I was actually offered the, the short opportunity. So I was like, re thinking my life and also making a short about it, like at the exact same time. I, I remember too, like, you know, early days, Maddie and I met, uh, mm -hmm. uh, when you joined Coco as a story artist for the first time. And, uh, I was the manager on that team. With Sorry, Maddie. Mike. <laughs> no, and I just we've told this story before, but I distinctly remember, you know, Maddie, being the one who was coming in, like I would roll. I like to think of myself as the person who gets in early. I come in with my coffee and <laughs> I'm like ready to rock and roll. And there's Maddie already there, you know, the oh, light is like on, it's so dark. <laughs> yeah. And then same thing. I'm leaving, heading out sort of late and Maddie's still hanging out there. And I feel like as a, a party to that, it was, it's pretty cool to kind of come full circle and just to sort of see both Maddie's growth as an artist and director, but then also see that story told and, and the truth in it. It's really cool. How does it feel to be Oscar nominated? And how are you going to celebrate on Oscars night? I really, I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to happen. So poor Mike, Mike's on the East Coast right now. So you were like awake when it was being announced. And I was like, I'm not going to get, I'm just going to sleep in. And so Mike had to wait like two hours after it had been announced for me to like wake up. Oh, like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. I texted Maddie. I'm like, call me right now. Wake up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, but, but I'm grateful and um, what I'm most excited for is that Mike is going to come back to California for the uh, for the awards. So I think it'll oh. just be like a fun, whatever the night ends up being. At least we get to like have one more moment of of like enjoying the short we made. I'm, I'm really yeah, excited being for on that. the crew together. Yeah, you know, same here. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's like. I don't know. That speaks to kind of what it was like working on the movie, mm -hmm. like what it means to us to celebrate it is really, this was one where we felt like it was sort of twofold. We wanted to make a movie for, you know, little kids and families to cozy up and enjoy and like getting to have this be sort of more exposure and allow that to get out there further into the world is like, 
oh, we can't think of anything more perfect. Yeah. And also like the other goal was to make it super fun to work on mm-hmm. as a crew. And like, I feel like this movie really, everybody on the team top to bottom just like bought into that. And I, it makes us sort of glued for life, you yeah. know? Uh, so getting to come back and, and hang with Maddie uh, is, yeah, it's a, I'm looking forward to that too. Yay. All right. It's time for the Insider Five. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I prepared. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, we're in the Oscar spirit, and this year's theme is all about bringing your movie love. What is your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? Oh my gosh. Can, can I go first, Mike? Please. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> my earliest memory, um, my sister and I didn't have television, so all we had was like VHS tapes of Disney movies, and I remember that she and I watched um, the Robin Hood animated movie until we wore the tape out. There's an entire section of Robin Hood that we like don't know about because we haven't been able to see it because we wore it out. So that... Uh, that's a fan favorite. Also, it stars animals, so there you go. There's my. It's <laughs> up your alley. It's so, oh, it's so cute. I love the chicken, the chicken lady. I love her so much. All right, Mike, what's yes. your earliest memory? Okay, so I, uh, Maddie and I grew up in the same area. Maddie's from Lafayette, mm-hmm. uh, California. I'm from Walnut Creek, and I went to preschool like right down the road from where Maddie uh, grew up. Mm-hmm. And my earliest memory is being in preschool. Um, uh, they had, we just on, on the regular, we would watch Cinderella, um, oh. like at the end of the day. Yeah. And I had this memory of, uh, you know, that intro music, it's the old school Disney logo with the whistle, like, when I hear that, I get this like visceral reaction. Cause I, I just, there's that opening scene, you know, where the book opens and the narrator mm. starts talking. And, uh, I feel like that. To me, I remember being in that little preschool room and uh, and it just, that that memory is like latched into my brain so that whenever I hear that sound, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like thrown back into being, you know, five-year-old me in, in Lafayette. Yeah. It's oh, really the magic of movies. Oh my goodness. All right. So let's talk about this. What inspired you to want to be a filmmaker? I'll go. But it was 2001 where Monsters, Inc. came out. And also Spirited Away was released in like American theaters. Um, And it was like, what a crazy year. Like my favorite, still my favorite Pixar movie, Monsters, Inc. Incredible CG film. And then one of the most amazing 2D films ever made, Spirited Away. And I was kind of like the age of the main character in Spirited Away. Like I was kind of a jerky jerk little kid, like not very nice. (laughs) And I felt like when I left that movie, I left like a better a better person <laughs> and I was I could I had no idea that animated movies could really change somebody that much so that was that like really sealed the deal from 2001 onwards that was all I animation was everything that's all I cared about yeah I think okay so for me <laughs> I went to college at, at Cal at Berkeley and I played baseball there and majored in English and uh, in my senior year I was like torn because I'm like I love baseball so much and I love being on a team and I want to do something team. But then I also love like the hermit uh, lifestyle (laughs) of being a creative person. And I was like torn and I watched um, Ratatouille for the first time and in the DVD extra, I mean the movie, it's still to this day. Like, I mean, I got the poster in my, my Uh, 
the DVD extras, there's an interview where they compare filmmaking to uh, uh, sort of uh, the art of cuisine and like how much teamwork is involved in that. And I remember locking onto this story, this mini doc that uh, the Pixar team had put together. And I'm just like, you are speaking my language. I have to do this. Whatever I do, I'm doing that. I'm going to be working in animated film because it's like the perfect combo of creativity and team sport. And, uh, and so I, uh, that was it. That was what solidified it for me. So you both seem like you're major Disney movie fans. So I think this one's going to be a fun one for you. Yes. It's Disney karaoke night. What song do you sing? Oh, Oof. Oh no. Okay. I like Go the Distance from Hercules. Everybody will join in. Like there's a part where you can be like, everybody, everybody, I can go. It's just, it makes you feel uh, very powerful. That's my favorite. So good. All right, Mike, what's your pick? Let's see. I think Friend Like Me um, from Aladdin uh, that Jeannie sings. Love Aladdin. Forwards and back. We had the the you know the tape or the CD growing up. I knew that song forward and backwards. Yes. And uh, I, I don't remember the lyrics now, but it I is do. so fast. <laughs> and it's Robin Williams, you know, just flying through that song. I, I, if I could still, I think if I listened to it a couple times, I could, I might be able to nail that karaoke. Yeah. yeah. Those are great picks. If you could only ride one ride all day at a Disney park, which would it be? Maddie, if your answer is the same as mine, I'd be so mad. Really? Okay. Well, okay. It might be. Competition. Maybe it is. My favorite ride is the Indiana Jones ride. But but I don't want to ruin it by riding it too many times. So I I might pick the like there's like that new Star Wars one that's more like a game. I think it's called Smuggler's Run. I would mm-hmm. maybe I would do that one so I could you have like a goal. So I'd be trying to like be really good at Smuggler's Run cuz I don't want to ruin my favorite. So that's my my answer. Great picks. Yeah. So okay. All right. Hey, What's you yours? Uh, Peter Pan. I could do that oh, all yeah. day, every day. Yeah. I still, we went to Disneyland sort of semi recently and still like as an adult, I go in and you know, you're flying over London yeah. and my adult brain is like, oh, this is a ride. Yeah. It's not real. And then the <laughs> child brain is like, I'm flying over London. You know, I can't. How am I in the air? <laughs> How am I flying? Uh, oh, I love it. I could do it all day. Yeah. That's a really good you one. You know, it's good when you have to like channel that switch. Like which frequency am I turning into right now? <laughs> That's Don't Disneyland. Am I child? I am I adult? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the best. Okay, this is our last one, and it's an important one. Which Disney character has the best life advice, and what is it? <laughs> I, I'm going to return to Hercules, because I was looking up a lot of quotes, and then I found one that made me go like, oh, and I, I think that's the one for me, which is, uh, a true hero isn't measured by the size of his strength, but by the strength of his heart, said by mm. Zeus. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Legit advice. <laughs> Sad yeah. I like Great. that. There you go. I would say, I, I had to look up the direct quote too, but yeah. this comes back from my fave, uh, Ratatouille. Uh, and yeah. it was originally going to be the Gusto quote, which is anyone can cook. But I remember the actual most emotional uh, <gasps> advice that resonated with me came from Ego, who was oh. sort of doing his own spin on that. And he says... Uh, not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. 
Uh, I feel like that to me, I was like, oh, it's just so true and like <laughs> gives me hope. And uh, I love it so much. I, I still get chills watching that movie. Great pick. Can I just say, okay, this is the Disney Movie Insiders Presents podcast, but we are amongst true Disney movie fans right now. Oh, yeah. And I love it so much. And of course, why we're all here today, yes. Burrow. What a great film. I think it really encapsulates everything that we talked about today. It's inspiring, powerful messages for the whole family. Mm. And I loved it. We're so happy that we had you here today. Thank you for joining us and taking on the Insider Five. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. I had a great time. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Bring your movie love and watch the Oscars live Sunday, April 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time on ABC. Soul is now available on digital, Blu-ray, and 4K UHD. And Soul, Onward, and Burrow are now streaming on Disney+. You can also keep an eye on our Instagram account, Disney Movie Insiders, for opportunities to submit your questions. And so you don't miss any upcoming episodes, subscribe and follow Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And while you're there, we'd love if you gave us a rating and review. Everyone's a winner at Disney Movie Insiders Presents. So enter bonus code AWARDS on DisneyMovieInsiders.com or our app. The code expires May 31st, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. Membership is required. Limit one redemption per account. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com for terms and conditions. That's our show. We'll catch you next time, insiders, with more Disney movie magic.